things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the special edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Coming at you over the digital airways of YouTube. Always appreciate the love and support. Thank you so much. As usual, we're here in our studio. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. The 2024 presidential election is a little more than a year away. The GOP field is crowded with nearly a dozen candidates. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Larry Elder, Will Hurd, Vivek Ramaswamy, Francis Suarez, Asa Hutchinson, Doug Burgum. On the Democratic side, Marianne Williamson and Robert Kennedy Jr. are trying to unseat current President Joe Biden. There's also a third party candidate in this race, ladies and gentlemen. As an independent, I'd like to hear from all sides. And on this podcast... All are welcome. When prominent progressive activist and scholar Cornell West announced he is a candidate on the Green Party ticket, you know I wanted to hear what he had to say, right? So guess what? I did just that. Here he is, the one and only Cornell West. You know, the beauty of America is that we have varied political views. We're Democrats, we're Republicans. We're libertarians. And of course, we're independents because that is exactly what I am. I don't care what your political view is. I'm always willing, particularly on this podcast, to have a conversation because I believe it's the key to understanding people from all sides of the political aisle. And today will be no different. My guest today is a civil rights and political activist, author, and distinguished professor, and now a candidate for the 2024 presidency of the United States of America as a third party candidate, I might add. Please welcome the one, the only, Dr. Cornell West. My brother, how are you, sir? Hi, dear brother. I salute you, man. Oh, you be you a young brother and still a marathoner at the same time. <laughs> just, just run I wish I that was so true. You. I wish that it was so true. I salute <laughs> you, sir. I've never interviewed you before. It's an honor and a privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Let's get right to it. You're a candidacy. For the presidency of the United States of America in the year 2024, why? It has to do with it has to do with my calling, though, brother. The calling, try to engage in a quest for truth and a seeking of justice. Condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak. You and I come from a tradition of a black people whose anthem is to lift every voice, not echo. We can't be just echoes expressing what's happening in the silo. We had to be voices that think critically for ourselves. And my calling has always been to try to find my voice, just like a jazz man or a blues woman, to find your voice and try to speak your truth. All of us are cracked vessels, so we none of us have a monopoly on truth, but we all have our own truth to try to approximate 
the larger truth, capital T, and then to link it to justice. And justice is what love looks like in public. So it's very much a love train that I'm talking about. And when you look at American politics, though, brother, it's bad. Both. Oh, man. I've never seen it this bad, Dr. Cornell West. I've never seen it this bad. You're right. It's a little moment, man. It's mediocrity, milk toast, mendacity, uh, levels of corruption, and people just lying. Both parties, both tied to big money, both tied to the next election, and none of them are speaking to the needs of, of those slides stone called everyday people, of poor and working people. 63% of our fellow citizens living from paycheck to paycheck every month, man. I'm wondering, I'm wondering in in all sincerity, why now? Because I know it's been bad, but there's a level of hopelessness that I think has infiltrated politics in such a way that I've never seen in my lifetime. I'm 55 years of age. I've never seen it like this. Even when we saw people like yourself, obviously you were born before me. And because of that, you were living in the midst of the civil rights era. You saw unfairness, you saw degradation, you saw a lot of heinous and and, and insidious things taking place in our country. But for some reason, no matter what trials and tribulations this nation or a segment of our populace was enduring, Dr. West, there was always hope. I look at the divide right now and truth doesn't matter. It's what I want. Whatever it is that I want, that's all that matters. There's no compromise. Compromise is not a priority. Truth is not a priority. And that begs the question, why run now when hopelessness seems to have pervaded the proverbial proceedings? Oh, I think that's a powerful reason for running. Because Mm. keep in mind, I'm running for truth and justice. I mean, the presidency happens to be just a vehicle and a vessel for it. But right when the moment is at its dimmest and grimmest is the time when you have to try to cast your light in the form of your witness and your work. And in the same way to you in your own context, you got to bear witness. You got to cast your light and most importantly, be yourself and be true to those who love you. All the love poured into you, all the love poured into me, all the integrity poured into me by Irene and Clifton West, Shiloh Baptist West, Black Panther Party, all of my different friends. And um, I have friends that come from different ideological and political perspectives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that I don't look for political agreement. I think of a brother like James Brown. You know, James Brown, one of the greatest of course. journalists of our of our day. That's right. Yes, I do. I know him personally. He's a, a, a mentor and a friend. He's one of the great, great human beings you'll ever meet on this earth. He, that's precisely it. You know, he was my, he was my roommate at Harvard. Wow. And, uh, and, and, you know, I go to him both prayer, advice, insight. We don't begin by talking about politics. We begin by talking about our family. His mother was a gem and a jewel. Mrs. Brown, just beyond language, just like my mother. But you see, those are the kind of relationships that's gone into shaping one. Mm-hmm. And, and when you have that kind of blessing or those kinds of blessings in your life, then by the time you get into politics and you see what you see in politics, hatred, greed, revenge, manipulation, people saying anything just in order to win, people finding out what their deepest convictions are by checking what the polls are, changing their views overnight. Hey, mm. what happened to truth? What happened to justice? What happened to integrity, honesty, decency? What happened to generosity? What happened to humility and fallibility? I don't mind telling folks I got gangster and thug in me because I do. 
mm. but I'm trying to be better. I don't mind telling folk I don't have the full truth because I'm want to learn and listen. I'm a jazz man, just like this brother right here, Coltrane. You learn, you learn how to learn, you learn how to listen, you learn how to allow others to raise their voices. But most importantly, brother, you learn how to take a stand. Mm. You're not spineless. You're not just going with the flow. What about people that look at Dr. Cornell West and they say to themselves, you are a black man, highly educated, far more knowledgeable than most of us. I know I've learned so much from just listening to you. I watch you every chance that I get when you're doing interviews with various people because it's just it's just edifying, to be quite honest with you. And they look at you and they say, you know so much and you talk about everyone on an equal playing scale as opposed to speaking about Okay, black folks are at a disadvantage, and when you talk about it from that perspective, um, it's appreciated. When you talk about other folks who have suffered, some people have said, Dr. Cornell West, what about us? What about us? What about us? What do you say to that, particularly in this day and age when we're witnessing the times that we're witnessing in and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the college admissions issue with the Supreme Court and race being omitted as a consideration and all of these other things that people point to. And they look at you and they feel like you're supposed to take a different position than you have taken. How do you respond to that? Well, one is, though, brother, you can't talk about integrity for me unless you talk about moral consistency. Yes, sir. Now, I'm also a revolutionary Christian. That's I'm, right. I'm a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. What does that mean? That means that all people, everybody has the same significance. They're made in the image of a great God. I don't care what color you are, what gender, what sexual orientation. I don't care what national identity you are from. You have the equal status and significance. So I'm trying to love everybody, but I begin on the chocolate side of town. <laughs> How come? Because my mom and daddy, the chocolate, they shaped me. Love thy neighbor as thyself. I couldn't even begin to love myself without acknowledging those who love me. They taught me what love is all about. But that love is not going to stay just on the chocolate side of town. No, my white brothers and sisters are suffering. I'm in solidarity with them. I want to do everything I can to alleviate it. If my indigenous brothers and sisters, if my Spanish speaking, if my Latino, if Lithuanians, if Ethiopians, Ukrainians, Across the board, Russians, across the board, it's yeah. a human thing. You see what I mean? It, it's profoundly, mm -hmm. profoundly human. It really is. Let me go to this. You initially ran under the People's Party and you switched to the Green Party. Just for clarification, I'd like you to clarify for folks why you switched from the People's Party platform to the Green Party. Well, I mean, I was, I, I was blessed that the People's Party came forward. Uh, but at the same time, they had access to one state. When the People's Party showed it a strong interest, they already have access to 17. We'll probably be able to get on about 45 or 48, mm. if, not, if not 50. Numbers so game. That, made, so that, 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 that changes things. There's no, there's no doubt about it. But in the end, though, brother, it's not really about the party. It's about the people, man. Right. You know, you got people suffering. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they are. Barrios, ghettos, hoods, reservations, white working folk. It's it's a human thing. You got 1% of the population owning what now? 40% of the wealth. Yes. Three individuals in the country have wealth equivalent to 50% of the whole population. 160 million folk. Now, see, that's a grotesque wealth inequality. That's why I was with Brother Bernie. 
when he ran because he was concerned about that wealth inequality. He was concerned about the callousness and indifference toward poor and working people. Neither Democrats nor Republicans, both of them tied to Wall Street, both of them tied to the Pentagon with the military budget expanding all the time. Every $1 spent, 57 cent goes to the military. But when it comes to housing, health care, jobs with a living wage, quality education, or we don't have no money all of a sudden. Things get very austere. Austerity kicks in so quick. But as soon as we go to war, we find trillions of dollars. Right. Owen Wall Street is in trouble. What did they do? Mm-hmm. Bailed them out and got trillions of dollars for support. Or when, COVID, or, 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 or when COVID happened, all of a sudden we're printing money and we're coming up with trillions of dollars yeah. to give. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just what Martin King called war priorities, my mm. brother. Yes. We got war priorities. You've got eight. And it's a human thing. Yes. All of us have hatred and greed in, inside of us. Right. But we got to fight it. Got to fight it. the same it. is true with empires. When empires mm-hmm. are driven by hatred and greed, their elites become corrupt and the people feel hopeless and they end up following neo-fascist pie pipers like brother trump mm. now brother trump was about prepared prepared to be president as i am to play them all night in national hockey league man <laughs> this is the moment of a lifetime the clock's ticking like my lifeline until i flatline i push it to the red line who gonna stop me high We're talking to the great Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West, right here with Stephen A. and the Stephen A. Smith Show. You've got eight policies that you're running on, Dr. West. Let's go through a few of them as quickly as we possibly can, please, sir. You've been a harsh critic of President Joe Biden during his time as a senator. Why do you think he shouldn't be reelected as president? Well, I think Brother Biden has been associated, really, with two ugly crimes against humanity. One is massive yeah, it really is. And he had about four of them, both with Strom Thurmond before. Uh, uh, and then the, the, that big crime bill of 94, it was 81, it was 84, 86, 91, and then 94. And you see the impact. I've been teaching in prisons, brother, for over 40 years, man. And I, I love my brothers. And some of the brothers have done some things that's ugly and vicious. Mm-hmm. And, and they needed some time off. Others were innocent. But they're human beings. And to have them locked up in these warehouses of forms of barbarity that I cannot accept. And for him to be the architect of that and nobody to really want to talk about the afterlife, the impact of the lives of families as well as those brothers, mm-hmm. to me, is just wrong. But the other one was the invasion and occupation of Iraq. Over half of me in Iraq, he's died. For me, an Iraqi life has the same value as any other human life. I agree. You know, I'm the last human being that believes that, hey, you know, Palestinian life has the same as the Israeli life. A Russian life has the same Ukrainian life. That doesn't mean that Russians can't be gangsters. It doesn't mean that Israelis can't be gangsters. The Palestinians can't be gangsters. The Ukrainians can't be gangsters. But we have to be, we have to have a moral and a spiritual compass, and that's all yeah. I'm trying to bring. But but, but, but Dr. But Dr. Bring- West, hold on, hold on, hold on for a second. Because I, mm-hmm. let, let me play the advocate here, and I don't want to use the devil's advocate, but I think it's appropriate here. There are yeah. there are some devils in leadership positions in this world. I mean, people oh. who have no love, no soul, no spirit. They don't give a damn. And do you do have folks in America, some of the, some of us, that believe in peace 
through strength, that if you go to them and you try to appeal to appeal rather to their better, their better nature, it's non-existent and you'll get run over. What do you say to people who would listen to Dr. West and say, sir, that's very ideal. That's altruistic. That's really, really nice. But there's no way on earth that that's going to work if you are the leader of the free world. What do you say to that? Well, I say that. They're certainly right about human wretchedness. As a Christian, you know I'm tied to a thick doctrine of sin in terms of our fallenness and our finitude. But we're not just wretched, but also wonderful in the sense that we can change. We're wonderful in the sense that we can be transformed. We can be made better. It could be divine gifts of grace. It could be through education. It could be through love. It could be through friendship. There's various ways that it could be through listening to a love supreme. The right kind of music and the art can actually tame your soul and transform how you view the world. So the wretchedness and the wonderfulness go hand in hand, Mm -hmm. but I I will not and ever will, uh, will, will never forever succumb to a wholesale pessimism. Retail pessimism is fried. But wholesale pessimism, wholesale fatalism, wholesale cynicism. Brother West, what you're talking about is just naive. Now, I come from the legacy of Martin King and Fannie okay. Lou Hamer and Ella Baker. Were they naive? Well, yes and no. Mm-hmm. They were naive in thinking that the world could change, but they were realistic enough to know they had to sacrifice and do something in order to change it. And they changed it. Rabbi Heschel did the same thing. Edward Zaid, the same thing. Grace Lee Boggs, we, we, there's a whole cloud of witnesses mm-hmm. and it comes from all but, different cultures and Chiefs Joseph from a native but let's American get, tradition and so forth. Let's get back to President Joe Biden when he was Senator Joe Biden in the 80s, the 90s specifically, and he was helping to push forth uh, that, that crime bill. A lot of people have argued, wait a minute, he was willing to do it and he had the support of various folks within the black political apparatus because the Congressional Black Caucus were supporters of the crime bill as well, which and and his argument, if I recall correctly, if I'm wrong in any way, please correct me, sir. I'm not the aficionado that you are. But if I recall correctly, he used that as an excuse. He said, wait a minute, it's what you all are asking for because of what was transpiring within your community. That's exactly right. You are absolutely right, though, brother. You're hitting the nail on the head. And what does that mean? That means that we had a black leadership that was so tied to the Democratic Party, they became well-adjusted to injustice and well-adapted to indifference toward the plight of precious brothers and sisters in the hood that became the major source of mass incarceration, especially the war against drugs and the war against the war, the war against drugs would ended up targeting specific communities. You mm-hmm. and I know you got a lot of vanilla brothers mm-hmm. and sisters, God bless them, mm-hmm. high as they could be, flying, flying, flying mm-hmm. high in the friendly skies, right. never get touched. But Jamal and Letitia, well, when they start engaging in drugs, they get dragged straight well, you know, to the court. Well, listen, the numbers, That's the numbers, the legacy the, of white supremacy. Doc, Dr. West, the numbers speak to that. Right now, there's about, uh, I just looked it up a couple of weeks ago. You probably know this. Uh, there's about 1.9 million people in our prisons in this country. 
38% come from the white community, which makes up 58.9% of our population right now. 38% of the prison population, identical to the white community, is from the black community. But the black community is only 13.6% of the population. So that 38 point, that 38% peeling from 30, 13.6% is far more significant detrimental and detrimental to our community than it is to their community. Having said all of that, getting back to Biden, my last question in regards to him. What about those who make the argument that you know good and well, there's no way in hell you're going to win this election. And as a result, all you may serve to do is take votes away from Joe Biden, which ultimately gives votes to the Republican nominee. To that, Dr. Cornell West says what? One is that we have to acknowledge that almost 40 percent of our fellow citizens do not vote at all. And over two thirds of those who vote for third party candidates say they would not even think about voting for either Democrat or Republican. So here you have a Democratic project going on. You're trying to reach people who are outside of the voting group to get convince them to register and to vote, to raise their voices, to focus on poor and working people, to cut back on militarism abroad, to have some kind of accountability of the greed of the big companies and the big pharmaceutical uh, entities and so forth. And you say, yes, there is an element of risk that a slice of those who would vote for me may have voted for Biden, but most of them wouldn't touch Biden with a 10-foot pole. Not at all. And, you know, history is unpredictable, though, brother. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not giving up thinking I'm just looking for a small slice. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 15, That's 16 fair. weeks. That, Trump well, may end up in jail. Biden may end up ex new candidates. Let's then let's go to the debate stage. Then let's see who actually has the strongest okay. vision, the well, strongest argument, the strongest historical analysis as to how we get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. And if I get that chance. Hey, brother. Let me let me let me let me let me say this to you. One could easily argue they'd give you a better chance of winning the race than being able to get things done once you won, because right. you are a guy. You're not a Washington insider. In fact, you've railed against the Washington establishment for many, many years. How would you possibly be able to get things done in D.C.? when it's divided along party lines, if you were in office, because you railed against, every, I don't, you wouldn't have a side. I mean, both of them would be against you. <laughs> you so right. And as you know, I'm told folk that uh, if I win, I'm not going to the White House until everybody has a house. <laughs> That's my spirit of service. I'm trying to be a servant leader mm-hmm. rather than somebody who walks around like a peacock, look at me, Salute to me and so forth. No, I want to. I want to try to empower folk. But the question you raise is a crucial one because even the Congress could try to come together and stop what I'm doing. But I would be able to use the bully pulpit, and I would say, you see, these 63 percent of Americans who, who are going paycheck to paycheck, we're going to change that. How come? I'm going to be supporting living wages. I'm going to use executive order and use the bully pulpit if everything is shut down on me. Now, if 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 they try to render me completely impotent, then that's going to be another issue. But I don't think they can they can render me completely impotent. I'm going I'm going to be running my mouth. I'm going to be putting forward my vision and 
I'm going to be galvanizing the people because my campaign is a moment in a movement, my brother. I come out of Legacy right. Martin King. It's a, mo- it's a moment in a movement. And once organized people get in motion. Mm. At this stage and point, at this stage and point, with how edu- educated you are about the issues. And by the way, I watched start to finish your conversation with Candace Owens, who is going to be on this show sometime in the future. Cause Ooh, I like, I like yes, to, yes, I like to listen to both sides. I like to hear. Well, I, no, notice I'm, 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 ask, I'm asking questions. I'm not debating when I'm interviewing. Yeah, I'm asking yeah. questions cause I want to learn. All right. But I got to tell you that, you know, I hope she comes on by the way, she hasn't committed to going on. We, we tried to arrange it two times and it didn't happen, but hopefully someday in the near future, it will happen. Happen. I will ask you this question, though, Dr. West, when you mm-hmm. consider the state of affairs that exist in this country right now, and I know you've railed against both and you are prepared to go against both. Who's worse for this country right now, the Democrats or the Republicans in the year 2023? Well, you see, you have to look at it both in terms of the country and the world. OK, because there's no doubt that Trump is leading us toward a second civil war. There's no doubt about that. And trying to undermine democratic procedures and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biden is leading us toward a third world war with possible nuclear exchange between Russia and ourselves. What, what I'd call the proxy war, crushing our precious Ukrainian brothers and sisters in the middle. And so if our choice is between the third world war and the second a civil war, then we got to find another way, my brother. We got to find another way. But respectfully, respectfully, that still doesn't answer my question. Which one's worse? I would say the world war. Because a civil <laughs> a civil war would live a lot of bloodshed and stuff like that. But there's the the, the probability of survival. A, 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 a nuclear war, there ain't no surviving that. No, it's true. I mean, I just hate to think of both of them. That's what it means to be between a rock and a hard place, bro, brother. I just mm-hmm. hate to think of both of them. In the end, there is a sense in which a world war is worse, but Trump is so bad that mm-hmm. it's hard to downplay him. As second, both both options yes. are for me non-negotiably wrong. How about non-negotiably acceptable? How, how about Governor Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida with the things that he's been doing just as recently as days ago? He's supporting, you know, an education system in the state of Florida, you know, pushed forward by the Board of Education there where you can talk about slavery and find some of the positive things that come out of slavery. For me, sir, my attitude is, why would you even bring that up in the year 2023? Why would that be a cause for debate? How can we consider the heinous things that have transpired to black folks in this nation and then talk about finding something positive after something that was exacted against them against their will? We would never do that. No one would do that to the Jewish community. No one. But somehow, some way you do that when it comes to black people. That's what bothered me about that. What about that man, Governor DeSantis? Well, I tell you, my brother, I heard your uh, podcast on that and you spoke directly to Brother DeSantis. You spoke directly to his arguments. You undermined his arguments and you showed how he was trivializing the suffering of black people and trying to minimize the impact of the vicious legacy of white supremacy that has so deeply damaged the black psyche and the black life chances and so forth. But you spoke to that, though, brother, and I agree with you 100 percent. But I think in many ways, you know, DeSantis, he's 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 uh, 
What would be the right word, though, man? I'll, I'll put it this way, that uh, he's in the minor leagues. He just graduated from AAA. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Not quite ready for the big time. Yeah, exactly. Not quite he's ready for just, the big time. He's just not ready, man. You know what I mean? Shakespeare said ripeness is all. The brother's not ripened yet. You know, so that um, what he's dealing with, with the cultural wars mm-hmm. and all of this, you can just see it's just right. not. It's 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 not Dr. West. It's so flat-footed. It's not dealing with yes. the deeper issues. Right. I mean, you and I know that a lot of students, some of them, not interested in reading. Don't make no difference what books you have. Right. Well, you, it, 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 and we know that the the educational curriculum that was in place, they've never told the full truth anyway. Yeah. So he just adds more lies to some of the lies that already been there. That's right. But see, he can't even say that. He's got the pit one group against the other and so in that sense he's just not ready but that's just my reason because he's just because because he's after the MAGA Republican votes and I believe that the reason why that's the case is because their belief is that just let me get the Republican nomination we'll beat the 82 year old Joe Biden and if he's not there we'll beat a Kamala Harris so that begs my next question rather than go the independent route be a part of the Green Party go up against them knowing it's a two party system that basically pervades the establishment and they hold dominion over the establishment. Why not look at somebody like a Kamala Harris? Why not encourage somebody like a Gavin Newsom or somebody along those lines, the governor of California, and and try to partner with them? Why didn't you decide to go that route? Because what happens is that the milquetoast Democratic Party and the neo-fascists in the Republican Party, all Republicans are not neo-fascists, and all folks who vote for Trump are not neo-fascists. One out of eight of those who voted for Trump voted for Brother Bernie Sanders. So we have to recognize how diverse his social base is. But he himself was a neo-fascist. But the the, the the Republican and Democratic parties are parasitic on each other because they both get the same big, big, big money from the big, big, big donors and big, big, big benefactors. See? They both are tied to military expansion. You notice anytime you have debates about the defense spending, mm-hmm. you get bipartisanship, they're yeah. supposed to be at each other's throats, but right. no, no. Right. You get bipartisanship when, when those kind of issues come along. Mm. Meaning what? Meaning that both parties are parties of the corporate elite. And if we don't break that, then the neo-fascists will win because sooner or later, Republicans are going to win. Mm. And the Democrats are just a postponement of it. The Democrats are a caretaker administration, and sooner or later the fascists will win. You don't defeat fascism by going milk toast. Mm. You defeat fascism by going directly into their face. That's like Martin Luther King Jr. depending on the moderate whites to break the back of American apartheid. If he had depended solely on them, you and I, Living in the South. I know you from Hollis, that's Queens. Right. We, that's <laughs> right. That's a cool thing. Born in the Bronx. Right. That that's a beautiful thing. But I'm I'm a Southern brother who grew up in California, right? right. Born in Oklahoma. That that American apartheid would still be in place, man. Mm. You got to hit it head on with vision, passion, courage, and a love of the people. Couple that's of what qu- I don't see in the Democratic Party. Couple of questions. Well, you said you don't see love for the people from the Democratic Party. Um, a lot of but people say that. About not the in the elite. There, there's a no. few. Okay. You know, Bernie Sanders and a few others. Barbara Lee. But there's, there's always a right. few. I don't believe in generalization. Sure. I believe in individuals what about, choices. And, and, you know and, what and I mean? any, any Republicans you want to throw out there that you feel got love for the people? 
Wow, that's a good question. I'm man. just asking. You brought up that's them, so you know, you know, they question. watching the show, and it's like, yeah, I gotta bring up, I gotta bring up some Republicans. Excuse me. Excuse me. Who? Who? But he's not an elected official. Who you said? Who did you say? His name, brother, brother Robert George, who's a professor at Princeton. He and I have worked together for 20 years. We traveled the country together. He's a conservative Republican, and I'm a left wing Democrat. We both Christians, so we come together at the bottom of the cross. Mm-hmm. But we, we we have deep disagreements. But mm-hmm. we travel the country, and we're brothers. Mm-hmm. More than friends, we're brothers. Got gotcha. you. And it's clear that he does have a love of the people, but his understanding of certain issues lead he and I to clash. But we still relate to each other at the human level. Mm. And that's that's crucial. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Are there any uh, commentators, commentators, pundits on the right that you feel that way about that we see on TV that you think that when we're looking at them, we should say, hey, they've got a love for their people. They just think a little bit differently than somebody like yourself. Oh, that's a beautiful question. I've never been asked that question before. Who would be some of the right wing folk who actually have? A- I asked that because I saw you again. I saw you talking to Candace Owens. So I'm like, I'm yeah, thinking no, about. Absolutely, I'm th- I believe in being in dialogue with everybody. Right, I really do. Uh, and they're human beings, and I think I can learn from everybody, no matter how wrong I think they are. Right. Uh, but the pundits on yes. television. Yeah. I think part of the problem is, man, it's hard to get independently minded brothers and sisters of any color like yourself, because the companies tend to be able to make more money by sensationalizing the conflict Mm -hmm. rather than trying to engage in mature discussion. So it's hard to keep track of some of the right wing brothers on television or right wing sisters on TV. I know them in private life, but not that many on television. Got you. I'll tell you something right now, and I appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. I'm not the aficionados that most people are, but I know this much. I'm even handed. I'm fair minded. And I say and I say what I feel and I don't fall along party lines if I believe something. But if you correct me because your knowledge is superior and you bringing me facts, I'm like, yeah, that's a damn good point. I'm going to sit up there and I'm going to I'm going to think about that. I'm going to go. But I'm proud of, especially on the left, the, the Dr. Michael Eric Dyson's yourself, Roland Martin. I give a lot of love to, you know, Joe Madison on Sirius XM, Karen Hunt on Sirius XM. People like that, I, I have profound respect for and I see what they're doing. Folks on the right, Sean Hannity, I've known for years. I think he's crazy. I don't agree with 80 percent of the stuff that he does, but I don't think he's a bad person. I don't feel I, I know him personally and I think of him differently than I would think of some other people uh, that I've seen on the air. You just have some folks on the Right. And I often joke when it comes to a guy like Sean Hannity, if if some if a Republican shot somebody in the middle of the street in broad daylight, the first words out of Sean Hannity's mouth was the Dems did it first. That's him. He's always thinking about the Dems and what the Democrats are getting away with. And that's his fixation. But that's just the way it goes. Having said all of that, going back to you, have you considered who your running mate would be? Is it Bernie Sanders? Oh, no, no. Bernie's already come out and supporting Brother Biden. So, you know, I love Brother Bernie and always will, but we have a disagreement. Hey, that's cool. Right. It's like a jam session. Somebody playing a little different than you. Hey, that's fine. You just you you take your stand. You try to point out to them 
where they're wrong, he points out to me where he thinks I'm wrong. But no, it wouldn't be Bernie. I would have to think and pray on that, though, brother. I really would. But uh, there's some quality folk out there. But most importantly, what you were saying about what you try to do is the bottom line. And that is people who say what they mean and mean what they say. Yes, people who have character. And I'm talking about perfection. Yep. Inter- in- integrity. Yes. That's the crucial thing. That's what is hard to find these days. Mm. Because everybody's for sale and everything is for sale. Mm-hmm. The market mentality is taking over, man. Yeah. It's taking over. Let's, it's cream. And that comes out of Staten Island. Yeah. Question Who for tank? you. No doubt. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill. Yes. Um, cash rules everything. There's a cash rules everything around me. me. There we go. There we go. I understand. Your family, mm-hmm. wife, kids. How do they feel about you taking this plunge? Not crazy about it, brother. They are? They're not crazy oh, about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I was asking. I was getting ready to say. They're not crazy about it. Explain. No, what did no, they say to you? Enough. What did they say to well, you? They don't want you to get killed. You know, we, we live in a very violent society, though, brother. You know what I mean? I already lived under death threats since, since 1993, so yeah. it just intensifies all the time. Mm. Uh, so that you could imagine people who love me say, you know. It ain't uh, worth it. Corn. This, this, this really be, this really got to be a serious calling, though, because, you know, the whole lot's at stake in that yes. regard. And yet at the same time, my wife is playing a fundamental role. And he has been marvelous and magnificent uh, in the campaign because she believes in my calling, but she's not crazy about the particular manifestation of that calling. And the same is true with my precious kids. So, you know, you got, you got to work these kind of things through, my brother. You really, really do. And that's why, again, you got to be humble because any of us could be right. Any of us could be wrong. But when you believe you're right and you throw down for what is right, then you empty yourself. You give it your all, just mm-hmm. like our great musicians, right? They give it their all and try to empower others with the gifts that God has given them. Right. And for me, it's musicians who are always the standard bears, that they set the highest levels of integrity because they know what it is to come to terms with their own wounds and bruises and scars and transfigure it into a sound that soothes us and gives us a sweetness in the face of all of this hatred and and greed. And we could just allow the black musical tradition to spill over into politics, man. Ooh, do you know what it would be like to have last uh, last couple last spirit in politics? Oh, last couple of questions. Last couple of questions. A few years ago, we had a black man in the presidency from 2008 to 2016 named Barack Obama. Black community loved him. A lot of people were very, very fond of him, even though there were some things he couldn't get accomplished. We didn't view it as his fault. We know he tried. Um, and we understand the political apparatus that exists on Capitol Hill and, and, and the kind of roadblocks and impediments that they can provide to derail your aspirations and ultimately your success. You walked away feeling what about his presidency as a black man in that yes. office, considering the fact that you would be a black man in the office if right. you were to win? Well, as you know, I was a critical supporter of my brother uh, each time he ran, especially the first time, did over 65 events for free and would do it again. 
but it was twofold. The symbolic breakthrough was extraordinary. Just the idea of having a brilliant black man and a magnificent black family in a White House that was built by enslaved Africans under coercive conditions is something that we can never, ever take away from Brother Barack. But I was also deeply disappointed because I would argue, even with my black brothers and sisters, that it, there were certain things he could have done that he didn't do. He didn't have to bail out Wall Street. We know Wall Street crimes took place of insider trading and market manipulation and predatory lending and fraudulent activity. He let them off the hook. He and Eric Holder, Eric comes out of Wall Street himself. He let them off the hook. He met with them and said, I stand between you and the pitchforks, but I will protect you. I don't believe a president, especially a black president, needs to say that to Wall Street. You need to say that to Main Street. So the homeowners were the one that had to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Same is true with drones. You know, George Bush dropped 46 drones and killed innocent people. Barack Obama dropped 549 and killed innocent people. Those are wrong. They had Tuesday meetings at night deciding who to kill. And too often it was innocent folk fighting terrorism. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, so we had war with combatants. That's a separate thing. Innocent people are being killed. And they lied about it, denied it, and then later on it's true. So that if you're going to be president, no matter what color, and you're going to be head of the empire, either tell people the truth about various kinds of things you're doing. And there are certain things you can choose. He didn't choose to hit mass incarceration head on. The new Jim Crow. We got a black president and you're not dealing with the new Jim Crow. That's why you got a Black Lives Matter movement under a black president. Because the younger generation said, wait a minute, these police are doing us in and we got black president. We got black attorney general. We got black homeland security. Black faces in high places doesn't always translate into black empowerment of poor and working people. We had to put bring critique to bear. And that's exactly what I did during the Obama administ uh, administration. Remember, Tab was Miley and I having yes. poverty tours. Yes. I wanted to talk about poverty. I wanted to talk about mass incarceration. We got a black president. Let's show up at the jails and say what's wrong and give your arguments as to why you want to preserve this and do away with this, reform this. Right. Well, I did. I did. I did. I did see Barack Obama show up at a couple of jails. I think one was televised where he did that. Um, when I think well, about that meeting his seventh year with nonviolent offenders. OK, okay. I see what you're saying. And then and then see obviously I mean? and then when he bailed out Wall Street, you're thinking about the economy because he, he came into office during a recession. And obviously right. that the country was falling apart. So I think that was a forgivable position for him to take because you obviously was in a state of emergency. You didn't inherit everything when it was peachy clean and was smooth sailing. You inherited a problem, okay, under the George Bush, W. Bush administration. I mean, I'm, I got to take that into consideration as well. That's exactly the moment where you got Wall Street against the wall. You can bring leverage to bear so that poor and working people could get more concessions. If you just bail them out, they come out stronger with no accountability. And what happens? Black middle class lose 58% of our wealth. Why? Because most of our wealth in our homes. And we lost our homes because of that. It was the homeowners that had to bear the burden. So I would have said, hey, we understand there were a number of things that he wanted to do that he couldn't, but you don't punt on second down. Mm. You punt on the fourth down. You push it as far as you can go. You don't go to Wall Street and say, I will protect you. And that's you what you, and, and that's what you would have been and, committing crimes and, against these people, predatory lending. You're going to be punished. And then I'm going to extract some kind of concessions out la of you. Last that's question. To me, 
simplified it. Last question. I have to say uh-huh. this to you respectfully. I find it very hard to believe you would take that position in this one regard. You're a good man who cares and believes in the souls of other people. And if some people come to you, even if they are on Wall Street and they say we made mistakes and we want to help make amends, okay, and punting on second down as opposed to fourth down would alleviate some of the stress and deprivation and misery of those less fortunate than those on Wall Street. The Dr. West that I've been listening to might have made a decision to punt on second down under those situations. I appreciate it. I don't know about that, my brother. I, <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> but never forget that Jesus right. went into the temple to do what? Right. Run out the money changers, right? Right. Yes. Ran them out, brothers. That that temple was the largest edifice east of Rome. Four hundred Roman troops protecting that temple. Disciples got cowardly. Peter denied him three times. He went in anyway. He's not hating the rich. He's hating greed. Mm. He's not hating the rich. He's loving poor people who yes. are being exploited by those money changers. That's what put him on the cross. That's right. what the that's why the Roman Empire crucified him. Right now, if you're gonna follow Jesus then you got to have some critique of Pontius Pilate and his payroll and his network. You got too many folks think they can follow Jesus and be on Pontius Pilate's payroll can't do both. and be adjusted to Pontius Pilate. Can't no, do you both. can't do it. Can't you got to make a choice. Can't do both. That's what loving the people is all about. So yes. then in that sense, when I think about putting on second and fourth down, if I'm following Jesus into that temple, that Jesus is not hating, he's not trashing people, he's hating greed, and he's trashing a system that allows the greedy to be indifferent for the poor. That, to me, is what it means to punt on fourth down. The reason why we still got to punt on fourth down is what? We not Jesus. There we go. We all got Dr. West. You know that? Dr. West. We all got constraints. I, I would say this to you in closing. Boy, do you have me hoping that you're on that debate stage. That you're on that debate stage as a third-party candidate going against the Democratic and the Republican nominee, because I think it would be incredibly compelling uh, television, radio, et cetera, everything in the digital stratosphere, everything for folks to see. And obviously you would use that quote unquote bully pulpit to make sure you shine the light on illustrating and punctuating the very, very points that you brought up. I really, really appreciate your time. Honored to sit here and talk to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit here and talk with me as well. It is an honor to talk to you, sir. Thank you. Brother, the blessing and joy is mine. And just stay strong, man. Your integrity being true to yourself and your mama and daddy and all those who loved you and shaped you. Stephen A. Smith standing tall with a smile and style. Hey, thank you. That's what it's all about, that's my what it's brother. All about. That's what it's all about. All love. Thank you so much. Deanna was all, all right. mine. Take care of yourself. Same here. All right. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.